This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Northern Never podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are Kevin, Natalie and James to talk about another dramatic Burnley winner, 2-1 victory at Birmingham City that has Burnley back in the top two going into the last four games of the season, the first of which is, of course, that massive game against Middlesbrough at Turf Moor on Tuesday night. Hopefully most of you will be listening to this before that game, otherwise it's going to be quite quickly out of date. Let's get cracking then, Natalie, a win at Birmingham, 2-1, narrow, but deserved, do you think? Um, Controversially, I'm going to say probably not deserved on a balance of play. Um. It wasn't the best performance, to be honest. Um, I think that we looked a little tired and we looked quite nervous in the first half. So I'm not I'm not going to be as bold as to say that it was a dominant performance and we thoroughly deserved the win. I, I suspect at the time, certainly both the goals that we scored came against the run of play. Um, I think it would be sort of analysing the game with claret glasses if you were to say that you know that we fully deserve the win but again it was another really well fought point and, and they didn't give up the heads didn't go down and the second half performance I felt was a lot stronger than the first there seemed to be a little bit more of a renewed energy we made a few changes which were probably forced changes by Deitch but you know on the whole it wasn't it was just the same as what we've seen for most of this season a below par performance where they managed to grind a result out I thought three points, in fact. Yeah, we we did win the game, in case anyone's... Yeah, sorry, three points. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, two, two, two changes before the hour mark. I don't think I've ever seen us do that, obviously. Um, enforced, as you say, with Joey Barton getting kicked out of the game and um, the other change that we made, Lloyd Dyer coming on. We'll come on to Lloyd Dyer a bit later. Uh, James Andre Gray making the difference again with yet another winning goal. He's been a bit quiet recently, but... I think Dyer said after the game, didn't he? It doesn't matter when you've got a striker who can seemingly not have much impact on a game, but when it matters, he stuck the ball in the net. Yeah, well, we keep saying he's been a bit quiet, don't we? But it's something like, is it six goals in eight games or something ridiculous? Which, considering he's been quiet, that's, that's not bad. Six in nine, six in nine. Six in nine, that is good. I didn't realise yeah, he was on so... anything like that streak. Six goals in our games. I mean, doesn't sound uh, doesn't sound awful, does it? So, yeah, he's just seen strange. Obviously, we've been talking about him being quite quiet, but I think he he's been quiet in games where we've just desperately needed a goal, which has maybe been, you know, the the issue. If you you know sort of look at the Cardiff game at home, and you would have loved for him to come up with a goal like he did on Saturday. Then when you in and steals a win, and uh, the the table would look completely different if we'd managed to capitalise on you know a couple of those games in that period. But he's one of those players who I think can, uh, you know, sometimes he can have 10 chances in a game and he'll miss the first nine, but then he'll come up and, and score with a 10th and you almost forget about the, the nine he missed. I suppose the, the flip side to Grace form, six in nine sounds good now, but it was one in five, you could look at it that way, before Birmingham game. So, yeah, I think that was probably why people were questioning him a little bit. Um, Kevin, two changes to the team for the, the game at Birmingham, both enforced. Um, Barnes coming in for Volks and Marnie coming into the midfield for Dave Jones, who's been ill. Um, how, how did you rate those two's performance? Obviously, we've played the same team, so 
so regularly it's been a bit of a change to see any difference to the starting lineup. Yeah, so I think I think uh, I think Dean Dean Marnie gives us an extra almost dynamism uh, in the middle of the park. I think we're a bit more dynamic with him in there, um, and it was quite it's interesting to see uh, the, the the Jones Marnie partnership as well uh, returned after the after in the second half. Obviously, that was a a big part of our previous promotion, and it was it was nice to see Barnes get everyone out from the start as well. Obviously, it's gonna be it's gonna be very rusty. We, we you know we remember how long it took Sam Vokes to get back to form after his injury. But I think he's I think he's showing some nice touches, um, and it's all going to help his recovery if if he can get a few few more um, appearances in before the end of the season. Hopefully, he can come back next season um, feeling a lot more like Lava Barnes we 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 know and love. Uh, Natalie's Kev says we got to see Jones and Marnie back together, which is a partnership. I don't think any of us expected to see again before the end of the season with. Joey Barton forced off after another half where he's been ruthlessly targeted by the opposition and the referees just let them get away with it. The tackle by Torrell that he was booked for, but it was absolutely horrific. He could have been sent off for that rather than right at the end. Absolutely, and it genuinely feels like we're talking about this same topic every single week. Teams are coming to us and they are, you know, niggling at him, they're having a go on him all the time, they are trying to get him sent off, they're trying to wind him up, and they're trying to turn him into the old Barton that was you know, 10 years ago, that real live wire on the pitch. Deitch made this comment after the Brighton game where there was the witch hunt against um, against Joy for some of his challenges, and he made that point that he sees those week after week after week. I was a little bit concerned when he went off, because this is the first time that we've had to see this side without... Um, without Joy on on the pitch, but I think they did all right when he went off. Um, I think Marnie looked a little rusty when he came on, but he seemed to settle into the game into the later stages. But it just goes to show just how influential he's become, as you know, as he's uh, as he's settled into our side. So w- without Barton, James, were you a bit concerned about how we might do in there? Obviously, Jones and Marnie was tried and tested, but haven't really seen that partnership for for a couple of years, but I felt Jones made a real difference. We started the second half really well, although Birmingham then went and scored. Yeah, no, I wasn't really concerned. I think, um, you know, if if anything, I think the, the partnership that makes me a little bit more nervous is actually Marnie and Barton because we've not really seen a lot of them together and I'm not sure whether they're necessarily as compatible. They may be a bit samey as well. Yeah. They're quite a similar place. They're, they're both liable to, you know, pick up a bit of a dodgy booking and um, I think at least when you've got Jones you've got maybe a calmer midfielder might be the way to put it um, you know he's, he's very steady whereas um, Barton and Marnie are both they play a bit a bit near the edge I think um, but you know I didn't think, I didn't have any doubt that the Marnie-Jones partnership had you know be anything other than fine um, I think obviously Marnie might be a little bit rusty at the moment because he's, he's not been playing a lot of football but uh, you know, we know what a quality partnership that was for us last time. So, um, even though bringing Barton in early in the season made a massive difference to us, I don't think it was. You know, obviously Marnie wasn't really uh, wasn't involved then. So, I think. You know, it was, it, I was confident second half. I think it obviously it was more concerning for me that Barton had to go off, and and what implications does that mean for for you know Tuesday night? Obviously, because he's he's been a huge player for us. That's very true. Hopefully he will be okay for that game. Otherwise, might have to be Marnie and Jones from the start. Um, Tom Heaton had a good game, I felt. Made some good saves, but should he have maybe done a bit better with the, the Birmingham goal? He palmed it back into the danger zone, which is something I used to get very frustrated at Lee Grant for doing. Yeah, I always feel a little bit confused with what keepers should and shouldn't be doing just because I always feel like there's some kind of mystery keeper code that is a secret from everybody who hasn't played as a goalkeeper. And sometimes I hear these criticisms against keepers and what they should and shouldn't have done. And I I don't really understand um, why they're saying those things. I have looked at at the uh, Birmingham goal again and I can't see what he did wrong. When I first looked at it, he looks like he's making a really good reaction save. And I don't... You mentioned then, Jamie, about palming it back into the danger area. I don't really know where else he was able to put it because it did come at him really, really quickly. And I didn't have any particular concerns about the goal, but that's that's not to say that that's right, I guess. I think it's one of those that looks worse because it lands pretty much in the most perfect position for the striker to... Uh... It's that, and also it looks worse in slow motion. Natalie's exactly right that 
it was a good save in real time, but then you start seeing the replays in slow motion and saves never look as good in slow motion, do they? I, I think keeping's changed a lot recently though as well and you know, keepers palming the ball out is very is very common. I don't know whether, you know, players are hitting the ball harder, it's harder to catch or harder to smother, but I think um pretty much anything that comes across the body that they, they have to parry. Um, you know, unless it's in the corners where they can tip it around the post. So um, I think it's it's a difficult one because I think keeping has changed a lot in uh, in recent years. Sort I, su- of every I su- suppose if if he tried to tip it around the post and it had gone through his hands, I'd be saying yeah, I, I, not. Just I think you can only really tip it around the post when it's very close to the post. When anyway. you're closer, yeah. but I, mean, I think you see it in other aspects of keeping as well, aren't you? you know, punching the ball. I don't think that used to be very common, and now keepers do it all the time. And you know, if you don't punch it well enough, it's probably going to give the opposition a good opportunity and almost empty net maybe just one of those things about about modern football then um kevin you've said a couple of times on the podcast that you hope you never see lloyd dyer because it means that we didn't need him but we did need him on saturday and he, he did really well he seemed to make a positive difference and was involved in in the winning goal in the end and seemed to bring pace and drive to the burnley team that we've maybe not had in wide areas yeah, and it, it, it's, it's, it's back at, well, like I said, we, we, we'd only want to see him if we need him. And I think we have struggled um, a little bit going forward in the last few weeks. Um, and, and particularly with our forward line being disrupted a little bit. Uh, obviously, with Vokes, with Vokes going out and Barnes having to come in, it was, it, yeah, it gave a good opportunity for Dyer to come in and, and make a positive impact, which it seems like he has done. Um, and like you said, he, he offers something very different to, to anyone else in the team. Um, he can he can take the ball. You saw with the with the, the red card incident, he got the ball and straight away he was keen to drive forward as quickly as he could. Um, which again, I don't think we have. That's that's another trait we don't really have in the team, and it's particularly as you get towards this the tail end of the season when it's very, it's uh, starting to get very nervy. Um, every single game's quite terrifying, um, and it's going to be those little bits where you can make it up a bit. And obviously, we're we're going to be watched a lot more. Um, by teams coming to us and how to stop us. So if we can bring something different into the team, um, that can only be a positive. Um, I'm going to cont- I'm going to say again, but hopefully we don't we don't see him again for the rest of the season because I like us to um, be be as very confident and threatening um, and effective going forward. But I'm a realist, and it's probably not going to happen. Particularly with a, a, a tough game coming up against Middlesbrough, it's potential we might we might see him again. Um, but it's, it's, I think, again, it's a nice option to have. Um, he offers something different and it's, it's, it's good that he's had a positive start in his um, in his first appearance. Good to have those options. Um, a player that's been much maligned recently, Natalie, is, is George Boyd. And we've talked on the podcast about him possibly dropping out and players like Dyer or Kitely or even Taylor coming into the side. But a goal and an assist at the weekend. He got a place in the Championship Team of the Week as well, I think. He's... Is he coming into form at, at the right time, or is this just going to be a, a one-off for George Boyd? I think he's been doing better recently. I think some of the criticism has been unfair. Yeah, I completely agree. I have I have been um, thinking the same thing over the past few weeks. I think he has very much improved. I still don't think he's back to the George Boyd we saw last season. I still think he's nowhere near that level yet. But it is encouraging to see at the end of the season that he is coming back into um, some bit of form. And like you say... Um, you know, creating some goals and, 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 you know, making some chances for the team. I'm just, I just want him to do more. I I don't know what it is with George Boyd. Even when he has a good game, it's, there's still something missing from him this season and it's really frustrating and I just can't put my finger on what it is. Um, I I don't know. He got in the team of the week. I thought he did really well on, on Saturday. I was, he was impressed with his performance who knows? You know, I, I never really know which George Boy is going to turn up week after week, to be honest. I, I think it's a weird one. I don't know if he just... He started so well. I don't know if people expected that to be his level, whereas maybe this is his level. I don't know. It's, it just seems a bit... But then we say that. Look how well he played last season, though. So, if anything, it sounds... I, don't think, he, I think he played well for six months. I thought the second half of the season he was really poor. And then he started this season really poorly. So I think he's actually playing quite well now and started off playing quite well, but in the middle there was nearly a year where he didn't really contribute anything. So I'm just wondering if he's just one of those players that he has these really big dips in form. Um, James, to come back to Lloyd Dyer, 
I, I know you'd rather see Kitely in there, but Dyer got his chance and he he had a positive impact. Yeah, he did, and uh, it's, it's interesting to see whether he'll start on Tuesday. Um, I, you know, I think obviously everyone's very happy with how he played. I, I think he, he did have an impact, but I, I'm not sure whether people are maybe getting a bit carried away. Um, though, I mean, that would be Burnley fans all over, wouldn't it? Remember John Louis Valois? What a what a heroic! How could you forget one game he had? <laughs> I mean, Burnley fans that were um, worse than any other sports I've ever heard of. I think that they judge someone off pretty much their first touch. I, mean, I remember Valois playing at, at the turf. I think it was a friendly when he made his debut. A crossfield pass came over. And he killed it with one touch. And it was a really good touch. But it was like, after that, everyone had just decided that he was amazing. Despite all the evidence that followed, he did that one brilliant touch and everyone was just like, yep, amazing, straight away. <laughs> just like, that decisive. Yeah. I think we've seen it a little with some people. Like Dan Richards came in and we, everyone watched a clip on YouTube and was like, he's just what we need, some <laughs> pace. Um, and he, he wasn't very good, was he, in the end? Um, who else has the bit? Overstad's a, a recent example where we've not really necessarily got to see a lot of him yet, but after his first 20 minutes, he was hailed as like uh, our midfield saviour. So, <laughs> yeah, he played really uh, well against Villa. He's like, yeah, Villa are terrible. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, obviously, he's, he's been in and out of injury since, so I don't know whether Burnley fans being uh, very pleased with someone's a, a blessing or a, a curse. I think Lloyd Dyer better, you know, make sure his knees are okay or something this week because uh, he might <laughs> suffer an untimely injury. But um, no, it'll be interesting to see where he gets to start because I think Arfield's been been interesting lately, hasn't he? Obviously, Boyd had a great game on Saturday. Um, I thought both Arfield and Boyd were, were great in the last home game um, in a complete contrast to the, the, the game before where I thought, if anything, they, they seemed to slow things down and and sort of weaken our cause in midfield. So uh, it's interesting, really, that I think the form's been patchy all round for our wide men. Um, so like you said before, hopefully, you know, Boyd's coming into a, a good run of form and Arfield or Dyer can, can be in good form on the other side because, you know, we need them for this last couple of games to get it over the line. I, I imagine Dash sees Dyer as, a, as an impact player off the bench. I don't know if he maybe just gets stereotyped and pigeonholed or something like that because he's got the pace that can be an asset from the bench, but I don't see him um, starting it. And also, I just I wonder if Arfield is maybe struggling with a bit of tiredness maybe from the, the trip to come and play for Canada. There was talk that he came back with a back injury. I wonder if he's carrying that still. Yeah, there wasn't. I think that might have been the reason he did look off the pace for you know the first two games after he got back. But then obviously he had a fantastic game, and uh, it, it's I don't know, it's, it's just interesting, isn't it? Really? But I, I think you're probably right about Dyer. Um, you know, if you can bring him on, uh, sort of at 75 minute mark when fullbacks are tiring, then he is going to cause problems because he, he is quick, and I think sometimes if you you're quick, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, what end product you've got because if you're quick enough to get into a position just to square the ball then you know you don't have to you, you know you don't have to put in a fantastic cross to you to pass to an open man so um, pace can yeah could it's, do it's a lot more of decision making isn't it though when you get into that situation. there was one break I think where he did exactly what you're saying but there was probably four or five players in the box waiting for a cross but instead he pulled it back to Dean Marnie who was charging in which probably thought that's a sensible option. He's in space, he's coming in. But it's Dean Marnie, and Dean Marnie hit the first time shot from 20 yards out. It swerved massively off target, as anyone who's ever seen Dean Marnie play would have known that was going to happen, because for all his talent, Dean Marnie can't shoot. We all so ducked in the stands as well. <laughs> that, that is one of the things I've, I've said quite a few times about why I think Carter should play, because you know, people aren't always uh, enthusiastic about his end product, but he does quite like getting those low-driven crosses in. And I think, you know, if you get to the byline, put a low-driven cross in when there's plenty of bodies in the box, even if it's not a Burnley pool, he gets on the end of it, it can ricochet off anyone, can't it, and go in. OK, well, let's move on from the game from there because there is quite a bit to go through on this week's podcast. The next thing I want to talk about is Andre Gray being crowned the Championship Player of the Year. Um, I think he was nominated along with Alan Judge, who's sadly broken his leg playing for Brentford so he isn't going to play for the rest of the season and will miss year or 2016 as well and Ross McCormack who scored a lot of goals 
in quite a poor form side. I suppose once the, the shortest came out, it was inevitable that Gray was going to win with so many goals having been scored for, for a team that was at the top of the table. Um, Gray said after winning that award, he said, I don't see what the pressure is. Very reassuring to hear a player talk about not being bothered about pressure, by the way. He said, I don't see what the pressure is. We've chosen to do this job. That's what we came here for. A lot of people are forced to do a job to pay the bills. They're forced to work for someone they don't want to, and I think that's pressure. That's really, really refreshing to hear a player talk like that. Um, Kevin, the shortlist of McCormack, Judge and Gray may be a bit obvious. Other players I'd have gone with instead, but can't really argue with Gray being named the Outstanding Player of the Year and following in the footsteps of Danny Ings, who won the award two years ago. Absolutely, yeah. Um, when, like you said, once the shortlist was was announced, there was only going to be one winner, really. Although it's quite interesting that Gray is probably for a lot of Burnley fans not their choice for Burnley players. This is it, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure we'll do awards in more detail later in the, the season. Yeah, it's it's one of those where he's not our player of the year, but he's the championship player of the year. But it's it, it's it's voted for by play by people who don't watch every team week in week in week out, which is obviously impossible to do. And Gray is the one who who catches uh, who catches the headlines. And you probably I've not looked at the history of this award, but you probably see that the majority of people who win it and, and get shortlisted are going to be attacking players because. Like Judge McCormack, great, they're all attacking players who are going to grab the headlines. They're the ones you see in the highlights. Um, whereas perhaps the likes of me and Martin Barton are the ones who do the almost the, the a bit more hidden work, the ones you don't see in, in the, the highlights package on, on Channel 5 at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it, it's, it's fantastic that in our t- in two, two seasons in the Championship, we've had play of the season um, both times. And that can only particularly with us being young players who've who've come through, uh, not come through the ranks, but have come to us and, and improved significantly in that time of us. It can only, if you're looking forward to the future, it can only help us attract players as well because it shows we're, we're, we're very much uh, improving improving players as they, when we come to the club. I think that's a great point. And these sorts of things are only going to improve our reputation in that in that area. Assuming that, that Gray is not going to be at Burnley for the rest of his career he's going to move on at some point and we'll have to replace him but we'll be able to say to strikers look you come here and we've had Jay Rodriguez and Charlie Austin and Danny Ings players who've gone on and been in England squads because of the goals that they've scored while playing for Burnley and the development that they've done I think it's fantastic to see and, and Andre Gray I wouldn't personally have chosen him I think it was a bit of an obvious choice I think Joey Barton has elevated Burnley maybe more than Andre Gray has. I don't know if that's a controversial view or not but I think Gray certainly as a as an ambassador for the club has been fantastic as well. Um, Natalie in the in the team of the year, I think it was a whole football league team of the year, wasn't it? Barton and Gray were in there as well. There's a lot of Burnley fans complaining that there weren't more Burnley players in there, but I suppose you can't really have four or five players from one team in a team that's supposed to represent three whole divisions, can you? No, you can't. As much as we'd like to, um, I think. You know that there are at least well, I I would certainly put Tom Eaton in there, and I would put Ben Mee seems like the really obvious one that is a uh, definitely missing from that team. Um, you're selfish, and it, it's a good sign for us. You know, we've we've had some tough times at Burnley, and it, it's only in recent modern years that the club has found some success and is being talked about in the manner that it is. And you know, there was not that many years ago that we'd have been chuffed as anything to have two players in the team of the year never mind you know complaining that there wasn't more in there so it just goes to show you know let's not you know run away with ourselves too much let's just take stock for a minute and realize that we're in a position at the moment where we're complaining that we didn't have more players in the team of the year than there were that is a really good thing to be that's a really good place to be in that's a fair point. Also, it's, you'd probably have Burnley fans not that long ago saying, oh, we don't want attention on our players because then people will buy them. <laughs> that used to be the classic Burnley. I'm quite go, oh, guilty of that. Don't, don't, don't talk about them being good. Someone might notice that they're good and then take them away and we won't get to watch them. <laughs> I did that as recently as uh, Heaton's call-ups for England. I was like, shut up, don't <laughs> elevate him to an international scale, we'll lose him. No, so I am guilty no, of that. No one realised that Tom Heaton was a good goalkeeper before he got in the England squad. We're going to sell him now. Huh? Um, James, come back to those comments from Gray. He said similar things recently, hasn't he? He talked about confidence that 
missing chances just doesn't seem to have any impact on him. And you talk about strikers as being confidence players, but he, he doesn't seem that way at all. He, he gets his goals in bursts, but you never see him get downhearted, and he, he always looks like he fancies himself to score a goal no matter how he's played. Yeah, I know it's interesting because I mean there has been some games where he's he's missed you know plenty of chances and he's not scored in that game, but he, he never looks like he's um, getting down about it. It's a complete contrast, really, to, to Danny Ings, um, who, you know, as, as good a striker as he is, I think occasionally if he missed a couple of chances in a row, you could see he started to, you know, walk back slowly and he had his head down a little bit. And I think Gray's completely different, but I think part of it is Gray's upbringing because, um, you know, really he has dealt with bigger things than uh, than missing a, a couple of uh, shot uh, goals, hasn't he? Um, you know, and he, he's got the evidence on his face permanently to prove it so I think that also partly explains his you know his comments um, you know I think he's one of the footballers who realises that he's in a privileged position to, to to be playing football and you know earning really good money doing it so um, you know on the one hand I think his comments are you know really good but on the other hand I think there's got to maybe be a little bit of pressure there because um, you know while maybe it's not personal pressure but I think you could apply maybe to what he said to some of some of Burnley's fans, um, and obviously winning the title would be be massive to a lot of people who maybe don't don't earn a lot of money and do work for people they'd rather not. So um, I think maybe there is a little bit of pressure there, but maybe it's not just on him as a, a as an individual as a footballer. I do think you know I think he's got a really really good attitude. I think. You know, James has really summarised that really well. Then it's quite, you know, it's quite refreshing, and we've not really had this at Burnley before, where you've had somebody who's just come in and it, it just is so calm and is so, I want to say calculated, but then I guess that maybe we're looking at that and thinking that he's, he's somehow got an agenda here, and I don't think he does. But everything that he says has got a reason behind it, and he's very aware of how he's presented in the media, and he's very aware of how privileged he is, and how um, and what he, and how much he's worked to get to where he is. And I, I think it's he's just got such a good attitude. I'm really, really impressed with him, to be honest. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that attitude has gone towards him winning this award as well. It seems humble to me. It seems like it's an unusual word to use for a footballer, maybe because of, of all the money that they have and the fast cars and stuff. But I think Gray is someone who's come to professional football quite late in his career compared to a lot of footballers who've maybe been at big clubs since they were children, basically, since they were eight, nine year old and been on 10 grand a year since they were 16 or whatever the likes of Chelsea and Man City are playing players. This is a guy who was playing non-league football not that long ago. There's obviously a lot of players who've been successful who've done that. Jamie Vardy's exactly the same. He's come to football late. and I think they maybe appreciate the success more than players who, who've been in football their whole lives and they've just that's, that's what they've always done. I think that's just the way he is and I think it's fantastic that we've seen him for now just but people don't get too concerned when he, he does eventually move on because all the, the best players are going to eventually do that. Um, let's move on to the next item on this week's agenda, though, and it's back to Team of the Week. So, Natalie, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. And this week's Tweet of the Week is a summary of how we were all feeling at the end of the game on Saturday. I tend to like the tweets that uh, that seem to sum up how everybody seems to be feeling and very reactive to the game that we've just witnessed. So this week's Tweet of the Week is from Amy, who says, Never seen a team and manager so pumped as Deitch and Burnley at full time. Unreal spirit and atmosphere. Bring on Tuesday. And I just thought, that's exactly how it felt at the end of the game. The the players and Dykes were coming to the fans and they were pumped up and they were, you know, pointing to the jaw. This is the big jaw incident now that um, that Dykes got in the press. And it, it felt to me at the end of the game on Saturday, it felt very much like Barnsley away did that first promotion season. Uh, sorry, the second promotion season where it felt like something had changed and it felt like an almighty weight had been lifted off everybody's shoulders and, there just seemed to be a moment after the game where the players believed it, Dyche believed it, and the fans believed that we were going to get promoted. And Amy's tweet really summed that up nicely for me. So she wins this week's Tweet of the Week. I got a text from a mate, actually, who'd seen um, 
Dash going over to the fans after the game and said, "Is that Dash doing a Decanio?" I was like, "No, he's not not a fascist like by what Decanio." Yeah, I think uh, we talked last week, didn't we, Kevin, about about the pressure and how it would affect us playing last the weekend just gone with Brighton winning. Um, was it 5-0 they won and then Middlesbrough got another late goal as we all knew they were going to get even though they fell behind at Bolton. So we were third going into the game and the character and the toughness and the steel it takes to then win when we got pegged back, I think that shows what this team's all about, doesn't it? Definitely, yeah, absolutely. And there's one thing you can uh, you can you can say lots of things about Sean Dyche teams, but the one thing you'll you'll never hear said about a Sean Dyche team is that they're, they're weak mentally. Um, and I think the nature of, of Middlesbrough's win uh, probably made it even tougher. Uh, the fact that it was a, yet another um, injury time winner. Um, the players will have, will have been watching that. Joey Barton probably watching some documentary about, <laughs> I don't know. Canal Journeys on BBC Four or something. <laughs> but the rest of the team has probably will have been, you know, will have been well, well aware of the match and, and probably thought like that, like many many did that Middlesbrough only got a point, but obviously then to have that another dramatic win right at the death makes it even more um probably even harder to take. So yes, yeah, come come on the back of that and, and get another another good win is is, is fantastic. Um and, and again it just shows that mental strength we've got running throughout the whole team. Uh particularly when we um surrendered our, our lead as well um uh, in the second half to come back and, and get it again. Um, again, just demonstrates that even further. Um, coming back to Middlesbrough, then, as, as Natalie mentioned in the tweet of the week, an absolutely gigantic game at the top of the Championship. Two top teams in the league. Middlesbrough got a two point lead on us at the moment, and we tied on goal difference, which could be pivotal yet yeah, before the end of the season. Um, with results going as they did at, at the weekend, James, how do you think both sides will approach this game? Do you think there's a a chance that Middlesbrough might come to the surf and play for a point, as we've seen quite a few teams do recently? I, uh, I hope that none of their fans listen to this. If I was, I'll get a load of tweets about it, won't it? But, um, because they, they do have an unhealthy obsession with us. Um, I actually just not, just a couple of minutes ago, read a comment on a Andre Gray article where a Borough fan said, Come and have a go, you think you're hard enough, Burnley? Don't think so, Burnley nil, Borough two. I think they'll definitely come for a draw. Um, I can't remember the last team that didn't come to the turf looking for a draw. Um, and I don't think that's going to change with Borough coming. You know, they know if, as long as they don't lose. I think as long as, you know, neither team loses, I think it's going to be difficult to see the top two changing in, in that scenario. Um However, I think we will definitely go for the win. So it's going to be interesting to see if we adapt because obviously we've seen a few teams have managed to stifle us recently when they've come for the draw. Um, you know, Wolves, Cardiff. Um, and I think sometimes we need to be a little bit more willing maybe to just change it up a little bit and try a different approach to get in around the backs of teams and, you know, score. It doesn't have to be pretty. Um, I'd take Andre Gray scoring from six yards into an almost empty net every week. Uh, if it it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, I think we probably need a win more than what Middlesbrough do because um, they've got that, that slight advantage. They could get away with a draw uh, a bit more than we could. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what their mentality is as well because also they've won a few games in a row now. Um, but they've not been particularly um, convincing. We've, I think just in the last week, we've had two last gasp winners against pretty poor teams particularly on, on, on Saturday they they had to rely on a, a last minute winner to come behind to to beat one of the worst teams to play in the championship in a long time in fairness we, we did the same at Bolton we went behind and had to come from behind yeah. of course yeah but I'm, I'm just, it's just going to be interesting yeah yeah you're absolutely right they've won six in a row but they, I don't think they've played well in any of those games yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what what their what their, their you know their confidence levels like and what their 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 mental approach is like with that in mind because it, it's almost like their results and the way they've got the results is in quite stark contrast. I think the the thing for me is um, I'm interested in Middlesbrough mentally. They obviously had that little meltdown when Karanka walked out and then they didn't let him take charge of the game at Charlton. But since then, they seem to be doing fine. But I think under the surface, and like James, I hope no Middlesbrough fans are. 
are listening to this because otherwise RIP my mentions on Twitter after everyone listens. But I just think they've got a tendency to absolutely fall to pieces. They've chased us down and they've got a back on top of us, but I just think they're absolutely there for the taking. I was talking to my boss at work the other day because he's a Burnley fan as well and he was saying we've got to just go and, and really take it to them, not just sit tight and take a draw because I think a draw would be a good result, Natalie, but if we win this game... That's pretty much it then, surely. You'd certainly think so. And I think it's really interesting what you just said then about the mental aspects of it. And I just want to pick up on on what um, Kevin just said earlier on as well. Um, I mentioned this on the podcast before, but my boss is a Borough fan. um, And I was talking to him about the game today and I was asking him, you know, how are they feeling? And, you know, just trying to psych out, you know, what their um, attitude is going into the game. And he said, well nothing you know he just said we don't need to win you know we're not nervous at all and it's it's almost like a defeatist attitude to them um that they just think well we don't need to win so the, the pressure's off us and it it doesn't feel to me like um Karanka's instilled a um winner's attitude into them it just feels like they just need to do they're just going to do the bare minimum just to get themselves promoted whereas on the flip side of that i think that Deitch has very much um instilled a winning mentality into the Burnley side and he want you know they they look like they want the championship much more than Borough do. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean they said recently, didn't they, that they had a team meeting after the whole game and we haven't lost since then. All the players said, Yeah, we want to win the title. It really feels like there's a desire to do that, whereas Middlesbrough they've been there before and managed to throw it away at the end. I I wouldn't be surprised. They've got a four point cushion to Brighton. I still wouldn't be surprised if they mess it up and Brighton go up instead. Kevin, what are your thoughts? I, I think it's interesting what you were saying about Boa potentially being the team they could crumble again. And I think it's interesting because you've, you've seen after a, a couple of their goals and, and, and wins recently, the way they've been celebrating, they've been jumping into the crowd, they've been hugging each other like ferociously. And it, it, it almost, on the face of it, gives an impression of a team that is really fired up and really feeling about real togetherness. But actually, I think if you look at that and alongside Sean Dyche's comments the other week, whereas he says that we take disappointment in the same way we take a win. In that if we if we don't win a game or we lose a game or we drop points, we're not going to be too disappointed. We'll just move on. Similarly, when we get a win, we're not going to get too over the top. We're going to just accept it and move on. And I think it's that it's that almost removing the, the emotion from it almost is, is what's been a big driver behind um, Sean Dyche's team's successes. And it's similar. You can see that with Middlesbrough, although they've got very, very big highs when they're winning games, you can definitely see that if something goes wrong, it can go very strongly the other way as well, and they could crumble like like they did when Karanka bizarrely left for, for for a little while. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you don't often see a team top of the league that's lost three out of four games quite recently. And all right, we've drawn more games than we should have. We had those three draws in a row where really we could have lost them all, but. We showed the character to get through those games and get points that we didn't deserve. I, I'm not sure Borough have got that in them. They've had these late winners, but they've come after loads of pressure and they've been playing against teams who've got nothing to play for. They haven't, they haven't beaten anyone good yet. And I think if we start as well as we did against Leeds, they could absolutely fall apart. I'm, I'm low to predict like an absolute thrashing. But if we start and play like we did... In the first few minutes against Leeds, play like we did against Brentford, the games where we've played our best football, if we do that from the start, we can take Borough. We're much better than Borough, surely. Can I just say, by the way, I think I have, I've got a sneaky... The, the, Gazette, uh, the Middlesbrough Gazette is going to share this whole segment on, on, the, on the website, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? <laughs> That's like my worst nightmare that the Gazette picks up on what we've been saying. Moving on then, we'll end on predictions as always, but it's this sort of time of the season where games are running out that a lot of media outlets run these predictor things where you can put results in. We've had a go at a Sky one. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes so you can have a go at it yourself. For the last four games of the season it doesn't ask you for scorelines, it's just who's going to win, um, which doesn't affect the goal difference weirdly. But we've all had a crack at this to see what happens and I think happily, Burnley get promoted on every single one of them. Um, Kevin, we'll start with you. What does the table look like on your predictor thing? Uh, well, I've got us and Middlesbrough joint top um, with 93 points, and I've got Brighton just a couple of points behind on on uh, on 91. 
which would um, which would be, would be nice. Obviously, I think I was I was quite. I, I essentially said we were all going to win all our games apart from um, we'll draw with Middlesbrough and Brighton will draw draw with Middlesbrough. Um, I think that's what they did. Um, but yeah, we're being promoted. So um, although maybe. I think it, if it comes down to goal difference, it'd be it'd be very terrifying. I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, hopefully, if goal difference is important, it's just about the title because we had that season, didn't we, when Gaza was playing for us, where we needed another goal to get in the playoffs, and it's just awful. I've never known tension like it at a football game. I think it, we've got. I think we've got level goal difference with Middlesbrough at the moment, haven't we? Yeah, before the Middlesbrough game, we are level on thirty-two. And does it go on goals scored then? Because I think we've scored, right. we've scored more than them. I think it does, and we we have scored more than Borough. So if it does come down to that, we're in a better position. Uh, mine is quite similar to to Kev's. Actually, I've got Borough and Burnley clear on ninety three points. I had Brighton dropping points against Derby as well. I had that as a draw, which means that I think going into the last day, we knew that a win at Charlton would be enough, regardless of the other result between Borough and Brighton, which I think everyone would take. As long as we know that if we beat Charlton, we promoted, I think everyone would be quite happy with that. Um, James, what about yours? You had us even further clear, didn't you? 95 points uh, to Borough's 92. Is that four wins? Four wins for Burnley? Yeah, I, I, I think there's no reason why we shouldn't win the next four. I actually am going to throw in a curveball opinion here. Bloody hell. This is sort of straight out of left field to use all the baseball analogies I can in one go. Um, I think the toughest game in I've run in is actually going to be Preston. That's interesting. They caused us problems at home. Not many teams have beat us this season. They're beaters. For whatever reason, they were, they got in our head when they came to the turf in December. Um, and we, we just didn't look like beating them at all. And, you know, I think if they could do the same on Friday, um, it'll be very difficult. And I think it'll be a decent crowd. Um, you know, it's a Friday evening. It's a, a good day to, you know, get on the beers before you, you go on the football. Um, bears, bears, bears. So, you know, especially when it's a, a derby game, um, I, I think, you know, the crowd will be up for it. And, uh, uh, but that's both sides of the crowd. And it could be a really tough one. Um, whereas I think Borough, the, the biggest thing working against us tomorrow night is maybe our own crowd rather than the, the Borough fans. You know, I think if we get off to a start where there's a couple of misplaced passes and the moans and groans start again, it might be a difficult night uh, for that, but I don't think it's actually necessarily um, just the, the offering on the pitch that's the difficulty tomorrow. Yeah, I think the thing with the pressing game is you, you normally at this stage of the season, you want teams that are in mid-tail with nothing to play for, but obviously there's the local derby aspect to it, there's the fact that they beat us at their place, they would absolutely love it if they beat us and that stopped us getting promoted, that would be like all their Christmases and birthdays come at once. But I think on on the flip side, we'll, we're going to be out for revenge, aren't we? Because so few teams have beat us this season. We'll want to put that right. Yeah, no, and you know as well, uh, it, I don't think many of the current players that were you know were really around were they? In fact, maybe not any of them. Back when Preston Burnley was like our you know most common derby and the only one that was really on the calendar. And I think you know historically maybe it's not a massive derby, but I think um, you know over that few year period it did become more of a a game to the fans because obviously we were starved of Burnley Blackburn games. Um, I don't think there's ever really been anything in Burnley, sort of Blackpool or you know Burnley Bolton, if, unless you take away the you know the Coyle years. But Burnley Preston is sort of the the rivalry that fans about my age have probably grown up with. Um, so it'd be nice to you know to get one over on them when we're not going to see them again for a little while, hopefully. Also, presumably for for Preston, now that Blackpool are basically completely irrelevant, they see us as their biggest obvious, so that's to put in mind as well. Um, Coming back to the predictor thing that we were doing, though, Natalie, you're the last one to have a go. Complete the full set, Burnley promoted on yours as well? Absolutely, and we go up as champions on mine. I (laughs) Champion! Definitely. See, lined it up for you, Smith. Um, I have Burnley finishing top on 95 points, winning all four remaining games. I also, I have Brighton in second, actually. I cannot see Brighton dropping any points at the moment. Um, I think they will finish second on 93. I have Borough missing out and dropping into the playoffs and they win all their games, but they drop points against us and against Brighton. Um, it's, it's that 
well, it's been said in the press, hasn't it, for a long time now, We that this championship will go down to the games between us. Um, I, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if the three teams won all of their games apart from those that they couldn't both win. Um, I agree with um, the Preston analysis. I think that is absolutely our toughest game. But I just think regardless of the derby and regardless of how much they'll be up for it, um, we will just be too strong and we will win. They aren't that great at home. Um but, you know, they seem to be better on the road than they are at Deepdale. But I just think we will be so focused. And it's it's four little mini games now. It's four cup finals to get us that title. Four cup finals. Four cup finals. We got it in. Natalie, <laughs> Natalie, you're scaring me a bit here. Cause... Well, the thing is, as, as, as soon as she's finished, I'm going to say... So you've predicted four wins in a row, but you're going to predict us to lose the Middlesbrough game, right? Look, it, it's, I can't, I can't give you any theory behind this madness. It just seems to work, so I, you know, we'll just stick with it. We'll stick with it. Yeah, if we lose all four Brommers, this is solely your fault. No, it's not. You can't blame me for this. The reverse psychology only works on a game by game basis, so we'll stick with it. Well, really, you did the predictions on a game by game basis, didn't you? So we'll have the stocks outside Turf Moor. Rotten apples and rotten eggs to Florida. Stop it! Stop being me. You can't blame this on me. It's not my fault. We'll see about that. We'll round off with actual predictions for the Middlesbrough game. Then I had it down as a draw on my predictor thing. I think everyone else has gone for wins. Um, I think my only concern is that we do play it a bit safe, and a draw would be a fine result. I don't have a problem with us drawing it. I just think if we go out to try and win it, we can win it. If that makes sense, and hopefully we will push as hard as we can. So, Kevin, we'll start with you. Borough at home, absolutely massive game. Can we get that win? Oh, we absolutely can. Yeah, um, whether we will is a, is a different a different matter. I went for a draw on the on the championship predictor thing, and I'm probably going to go for the same again here. Um, I think, yeah, I think we're going to go for for a one one all draw, and obviously in typical fashion, Middlesbrough going to score in the 96th minute. I think it's. It's inevitable that either Nugent or Rhodes score, so maybe it'll hit both of them and go in somehow. Um, James, you're always very confident on these predictions, so surely it's going to be 7, 8, 9 nil, 10 Andre Gray hat-tricks. 4-1. Andre Gray with a hat-trick. Uh, <laughs> Nugent's going to score for them, obviously. Um, and who's going to get the fourth? I'm, I'm going to go with the, the fourth's going to come from one that will please you, Smith. It's going to be Lloyd Dyer and he's going to sort of cement <laughs> his place in Burnley fan sort of 60 minutes worth of playing folklore. I hope it's a better prediction than your four assists for Michael Cantwell when he wasn't even in the squad. It should have been four assists. Put it this way, if he had it would have been four assists. played, they would have been four assists. Well, um, can't prove that either way, can you? Oh, I missed it, Meg, so... <laughs> We'll round off then with uh, Natalie's reverse psychology, as always. <sighs> sigh. <laughs> Big sigh. And despite the slightly farcical nature of this prediction that I'm about to make, given our <laughs> league standing predictions we've just done, I have got a really bad feeling about this game. And I think that we the nerves are going to get them. <laughs> I can't do it without laughing. I feel like the nerves are going to get the No, seriously, this let's not mess with the reverse psychology. No, this is, come on, focus, guys. I am very, very nervous. I, I believe this. 100% in the reverse psychology. <laughs> we do. Okay. I am really nervous about this game, and I feel like Borough are going to be just too strong for us, and I, I think we'll go to pieces and we'll book under the pressure, and I'm going to say that Borough are going to win 5-1. No near negative, as always. And then in some sort of unprecedented move, we'll get a do-over and win four games on the bounce. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you what, on Natalie's gravestone, um, it's going to say, I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> I do say that a lot. I maybe should stop saying that. I've got a really bad feeling about this. That's anyway. like my dad's, uh, we've got some defending to do now. <laughs> oh dear. I, th- I think we should probably leave it there on the No Name Ever podcast this week. Um, yeah, Middlesbrough at home on Tuesday night. Absolutely huge game. So hopefully we'll have a win to talk about on the next podcast, which we're going to try and rush out before the Preston game, ideally. So that might be online Wednesday or Thursday, all being well. Um, thanks to Rick, who's provided the artwork again for our podcast. Thanks to Rick for that animation. You can follow us or on Twitter or get in touch on email with any questions or feedback or praise or criticism or whatever you want to get in touch about 
on the podcast. Um, the email address is podcast at net, and the Twitter is net as well. But that's it for this week. Thanks to Natalie, Kevin and James for joining me. I've been Jamie Smith. This has been the Known and Ever podcast and we'll be back next time. Goodbye. Oh, what they're going to do is I'll put it online and say, this is Aito Karanka's team talk. You won't have to do a team talk. Just play this before kick-off. <laughs> I fucking hate the Gazette. <laughs> let's, let's move on. When I talk, it's making that, like, move, those bars are moving, Burger. Does that mean it's recording? That, that does that, whether you're recording or not. Oh. Because all the bars, what is yeah. in the circle? Uh, a, uh, a square, a black square. It's recording. Yeah. Is next to the bars, does that number that says something followed by a megabyte, is that going up as you speak? Uh, Yeah, it is. Should be in Uh, the 700 and some megabyte region. 882.6. That's that's recording. Is the timer on the left hand side going up (laughs) every second? Yeah. So basically, Bombers, was this all some more reverse psychology to make sure the recording works? Oh my god. If you god. say it hasn't worked, then it has worked. Oh, all the indicators are there that it's recording. Right, okay, I can't your... hear any of you lot now either. Yeah. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.